The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So today I'd like to talk about ethics. This is within the Eightfold Path. There's a component of the Eightfold Path around ethics that we um, engage in the practice with a foundation of ethical conduct and in particular the, um, the three aspects of the Eightfold Path related to ethics are wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood. So I want to talk today in general about ethics and um, put it into the context of the Eightfold Path uh, and the, the teachings of the Buddha um, I've been talking about the the Eightfold Path for a while now, so kind of going through it step by step, and we're at this section, we're at the ethics section. But I'd like to say a little bit about how it fits in to the Eightfold Path in general. So the Eightfold Path begins with um, wisdom, with with understanding what we're aiming for, essentially. So the first two aspects of the Eightfold Path are wise understanding and wise intention. And this understanding is kind of a reorientation of uh, our perspective around what it is that would actually make us happy in our lives. I mean, the Buddha in his um, understanding, in his enlightenment, and in what he understood when he woke up, he really saw that the way we typically act in our lives, while it's designed to, mostly we're acting in ways that we think will make us happy, you know, that that's kind of a very fundamental human uh, wish to be happy, and we engage in behaviors that we think will make us happy. But as he deeply understood his own mind, exploring his own inclinations, his own Uh, heart and mind, he saw that uh, the commonality of how his mind worked and how other minds work, that we tend to uh, behave in ways that we think will make us happy, but actually do the opposite. They keep us trapped in a cycle of uh, wanting, wanting things to be other than they are. Just, you know, when we... um, think of what's going to make us happy, we usually think of having things or getting things or, or being someone, um, having people appreciate us and like us. And there's all, all kinds of ways that we depend on things from the outside in order for us to be happy. That's kind of how we've been trained in a way. You know, We think that if we arrange our lives and create the relationships in our lives that um, we like, that we want, then we'll be happy. And there is a form of happiness that comes from that. The Buddha didn't deny that. And, um, he, just, he did say, though, that it's not a reliable source of happiness. It's not something that we can count on because inherently things in our world are impermanent. Conditions change. People's opinions change. You know, if we're relying on the opinions of others to be happy, that's really not very reliable. So the Buddha was looking for something more reliable. He was looking for how we can be happy independent of the conditions of the world. 
And he found a way. And it's a very different perspective than our usual way of finding happiness. His um, suggestion is that we need to look at the things that actually make us struggle, that make us suffer, and look at how that struggle is caused, how that struggle is created. And what we will find is when we look at how that struggle is created, that there is a large part of that struggle that is constructed right in our own minds. That there is essentially what he points to is this factor of wanting things to be other than they are as a key uh, place of our suffering, of what causes our suffering. And so the, uh, the exploration that he proposes is that we need to understand our suffering. We need to act in ways, engage in ways that will um, uh, shift the direction of our minds away from this wanting to have things and more to this the sense of letting go. And he also proposed that we need to look at not only how we are experiencing things, looking at our own um, struggles, but recognizing that uh, when we are behaving in ways that create struggle in the world for other people, that we need to look at that. That we need to um, explore what is it that we're doing that might be contributing to the suffering of the world. So in this um, kind of reframing of our perspective on the world, that's essentially that reframing is the teaching of wise understanding. And the basic um, definition of that is the Four Noble Truths. Understanding suffering, understanding the cause of suffering and letting go of that cause. And the possibility, recognizing there's a possibility for freedom from that kind of struggle, the suffering that we normally uh, find in our lives, and that there is a path, a way to engage that takes us in the direction away from suffering and towards happiness. So the, uh, when we kind of meet that understanding, if it resonates with us, this, this teaching around, you know, And many of us at some point in our lives realize, yeah, you know, I've been trying to find happiness out there. I met somebody recently who said, you know, from all accounts, my life is a complete success. And I recently got something in my life that I would have thought would have been the pinnacle of my life. And I feel so empty. You know, that this this way we have of engaging doesn't really have a a deeply satisfying... um, feeling for us. So that if this teaching resonates with us, we may be inclined to uh, behave in ways, start to act in ways, to direct our intention towards uh, engaging with the teachings, engaging with the practices that the Buddha offers. And the first um, kind of set of practices that the Buddha offers in the Eightfold Path are these practices of ethics wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood. So they're, they're outer practices. We can think of there being both outer practices and inner practices in our, um, in our mindfulness exploration. 
the outer practices being how we behave in the world and the inner practices being how we uh, explore and experience our own minds and our own, our own bodies. So this aspect of the Eightfold Path is around how we engage in the world, how we connect with other people, uh, how we um, engage in our relationships, and the emphasis in the, ethic, in the ethical component of the Eightfold Path is around non-harming. That really, I think, is a good way to sum up what the, the Buddha is proposing. Their um, actions that um, the Buddha said, if you, if, you engage, if you engage in actions like taking, uh, taking life or uh, s- stealing or um, false speech, or there's a number of them that we'll go over in the next few weeks, um, there will be suffering. There will be suffering out in the world and inside. So the, the, Buddha, is, the Buddha is basically suggesting these ethical guidelines are supportive of this reorientation of perspective. They're supportive of exploring where suffering is caused and letting go of the things that cause that suffering. So the, the ethical teaching that the Buddha offers is, it's not, you know, it's not the, uh, the way we typically think of um, morality in terms of right and wrong. The Buddha is looking at ethics, not in terms so much of right and wrong, but in terms of what is practical in terms of leading us towards a true happiness. So that it's not so much about judging ourselves, but it's about looking at what are the ways that we're engaging in behavior that aren't supportive for our true, deeper happiness. So the, uh, the Buddha recommends or suggests that you know, there's certain actions that if we engage in them, they're going to lead us towards suffering. They're going to lead to suffering in the world. And if we abstain from those actions, it will support our happiness. Essentially, um, I like to think of ethics in the Buddhist teaching as being kind of the cultivating clarity of mind and clarity of intention. That if we're engaging in um, killing, stealing, lying, um, unwholesome livelihood, harsh speech, all kinds of ways that we can engage in our actions, if we're engaging in those, that it is going to agitate the mind. I mean, just consider the example of, of lying to a friend. You know, even if it's a small lie, you know, even if it's just something small. You know, if you do that, um, the mind can kind of become agitated around that. You know, it's like, oh, I said that thing, and you know, you know what if that person tells that my friend this and we we kind of our mind just gets gets you know it it, put, it puts itself into a story around that often it's like we have a moment of relief it's like oh i told i told my friend that thing you know i'm off the hook or whatever you know however that that lie was being motivated there was some reason we wanted to lie you know that that um 
whatever little small benefit we got in that moment is often swept away by the agitation that follows. And it may follow, you know, a week from now or an hour from now or a year from now that there, there may be some, there, there will be some kind of uh, repercussion. Now, it may, it, may be, it may be that the main suffering is just our internal unsettledness. Or it may be that that lie, you know, two years from now your friend discovers that you lied and then it really creates a break between you and your friend. You know, that it can create dissonance in, in relationship. So... And the Buddha is pointing to these things. He says, you know, these actions, these actions he specifies, which I'll go through later, tend to have unwholesome motivations at their root. That when we are intentionally engaging in these, and this is a big piece around ethics, that in all of these um, things that the Buddha suggests avoiding, he says what, what he suggests avoiding is intentionally killing intentionally taking what's not given, intentionally lying. There are times when we tell a lie, when it's like we, we, you know, we've just for a moment, it's like our minds have slipped and we've thought, oh, that's what happened. And then, oh, wait a minute, no, that's not what happened. Um, or, you know, we, we are writing with a pen at work and we just, you know, not intending to take it, we just, you know, uh, because of, because of, you know, forgetting something, we just walk out with it. So it's like taking what is not offered. It's the intention. It's the intentional action around it that, uh, that we need to, to take care of. And he says if we intentionally engage in these actions of, of killing beings, of taking what's not given, of lying, then there's an unwholesome motivation underneath. And it's motivated in wanting something, agreed, it's motivated in aversion, wanting to get rid of something, some, either some unpleasant experience or um, some unpleasant mind state, wanting to have something, get rid of something, or it's motivated in conf- out of confusion, that we're just not really very clear on what's going on. And these are the three uh, roots, essentially, of all of our unskillful actions that tend to lead us towards this suffering, this stress, this struggle. I like struggle. That's a kind of a good word that, you know, if, if there's a sense of struggle, of things being a little bit off, there's something to look at. And these three qualities of greed, aversion, and delusion are kind of the root of all of our struggles. So in this exploration, as we begin exploring um, behaving in an ethical way and noticing when we uh, slip and um, engage in uh, unethical behavior, and it will happen, I mean it will happen that we, that we slip but as we explore this, you know, we start to see, and we start to see, oh, you know, I told that little white lie to that friend, and look at how hard it is for, for my mind to settle down. We see that um, in supporting, the you know, ethical behavior seems to be about supporting other people, 
taking care of other people. But it is also about taking care of ourselves. That in the willingness to engage in exploring these ethical guidelines, we see that in behaving in this way, supporting other people, we end up supporting ourselves. And the Buddha actually talked about this. He said that, you know, that in, um, it's, it's like a two-way street, that in, um, in supporting, in doing behaviors and engaging in the Eightfold Path, we support ourselves to have a settled mind and a settled heart, and we support others in having a kind of a, a, a sense of confidence and the word is fearlessness, that when we engage in ethical behaviors that people do not need to be afraid in our presence. Beings don't need to be afraid of us. So there's, we're supporting others and we're supporting ourselves in engaging in ethical conduct. So the, um, I'll just state the, the, the aspects of the... Um, wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood um, so that you get the sense of the framework of what this is. And again, this is, you know, this is looking at our behavior in the world, specific acts. So wise speech, there are four aspects of wise speech. Refraining from false speech, refraining from harsh, harsh speech, which would be... Um, the, the kind of um, language or tone used while speaking, harsh, speaking harshly. Um, refra- refraining from divisive speech, which is speech that's intended to separate groups or people. Um, you know, those people, they're not so good. You know, that kind of speech, a kind of li- libelous speech or slanderous speech you know, intended to divide people. And then the, the fourth kind of speech um, that the Buddha said is uh, not so helpful is idle chatter, and uh, this one can be challenging for us. But I'll go into that next time. <laughs> uh, but but one thing I will say about that is that um, you know there's this kind of arc of our meditation practice, and um, um, you know, things fall away kind of slowly. There's an understanding that the more we practice, there's kind of a natural letting go of um, unwholesome actions and unwholesome states of mind slowly over time. And there's said to be four stages of this, you know, that there are four stages essentially of waking up, four stages of awakening. And um, uh, the idle chatter doesn't go away till the very end. <laughs> so... Give yourselves a break, <laughs> and I think that's a lot of what I want to say about the about the ethics. You know, it's like this is an exploration. This isn't, um, you know, we commit ourselves to engaging in these precepts or in these um, ethical guidelines, um, but we explore what happens when we mess up. You know, it's not about beating ourselves up; it's about learning from our mistakes. 
So those are the four kinds of wise speech, then three kinds of wise action, refraining from killing living beings, refraining from taking what is not given, and refraining from sexual misconduct. And then wise livelihood, there's a few ways it's defined, but you know, essentially the, the key of wise livelihood is engaging in a livelihood that doesn't require us to engage in wrong speech or wrong action. So the Buddha specifically says, I don't know if I can remember, there's five things he specifically says, don't do these. He says, don't trade in weapons, don't trade in human beings or living beings. I think he puts living beings and human beings separately. Um, he said, don't be a butcher. You know, don't, don't um, kill um, animals. And then there's one, oh, weapons, poison. Did I say that one? <laughs> don't trade in weapons and poison. Um, so, um, but again, you know, the, you could envision perhaps trading in um, weapons without actually harming anybody or breaking any of the other precepts. So, you know, I think that may be why he called some of these out specifically, that, you know, there are some uh, activities that um, support others to do <laughs> unskillful things and that we want to avoid that. Um, so I'll, I'll talk more about this over the, the coming weeks, the specifics around um, these and how I understand these. So the, um, the exploration around these practices, they are practices in a way, is to um, look at how we're engaging and when we, you know, when we do find that we're slipping, you know, that we, I want to talk a little bit about the learning from, the learning from our mistakes. Um, because this is a big one, you know, that we, we normally think in our culture around this kind of ethical thing is like, oh, you know, it's right and wrong, and if I did it, I'm a bad person. You know, if I, if I engaged in, if I hit a spider and killed it on the wall, it's like I'm a bad person. And the Buddha is asking us to explore rather what our intentions are and what led to that, you know, so that we begin to understand the, the deeper causes in our hearts of why we would engage in some of these unethical aspects of behavior. So that it's, it's a training, it's, a, it's an exploration, rather than being, you know, just blindly following them. It's not about blindly following rules. It's more about exploring, you know, if you see in your, in your heart and mind, oh, you know, I'm I want to go kill that spider on the wall. You know, if you, if you catch that, then it's, it's really interesting to explore what's going on. Oh, there's some fear. There's some aversion. You know, I don't like that spider. You know, I want to get rid of it. So, you know, noticing those qualities of heart and mind and then seeing if there's a way perhaps to deal with the spider without killing it. You know, I've, I keep a, a, a cup and a piece of paper in my house, you know, in, trap the spider, slide the paper under, take the spider outside so that I don't have to kill the living being. You know, that I can 
remove the creature. I found a little a little bug flying on my glasses this morning. It's like, whoa, you know, I can't I can't drive like that. And you know, I took off my glasses and I blew. And there was this little little midge or something. I don't know. It didn't fly very well. And uh, you know, it didn't fly away. It just kind of hunkered down when I blew on it. It's like, how can I move you without hurting you? You know, this was my this was my sense. And how can I do this? How can I move you without hurting you? And I finally figured out a way to do that. Um, so we, we, know, we look when we're having this kind of, oh, get, get rid of that thing. What's going on? And we see if we can explore a way to uh, behave in a new way. So the Buddha, the Buddha had a teaching about this to his own son. When his son was seven years old, um, he, uh, he gave him a teaching where he said, you know, what we need to look at is are we causing distress for ourselves or others? And he didn't, he didn't lay out any specifics in this, in this teaching. He didn't say, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. He said, look at whether you're causing harm. Look at whether there's affliction or distress in yourself and others. And that's kind of our guide for how we explore experience. And to his seven-year-old son, he said, look before you do something and see if... Um, it's going to cause harm for yourself or other. If it is, then don't do it. And then he said, it didn't stop there. He said, then while you're engaging in activity, if you notice that there's harm being caused, either inside or outside, stop. And then he didn't, he, he didn't stop there. He said, and then afterwards, reflect, look back, at experience. Actually, he went on. He said, you know, if you, do, if you don't see that there's a problem, please do the, the action. You know, if, if, you, if, you, if you reflect and you don't see a problem, go ahead. And then while you're doing the action, you know, if, if you see there's a, a difficulty, stop. But if you've reflected and you don't see any harm, continue. And then look afterwards. Reflect back. Did something happen that created harm? And... If so, look at, you know, what, what happened there? You know, so that's, that's where we learn, where we, we look at our, um, our actions and see how did they impact the world? And is there something that I did that created harm? Now, this one is, can be tricky in a way. Um, you know, the, the teaching is around intention, you know, that it's, it's the intentional action to cause harm that we're mostly um, exploring in these ethical guidelines. And yet, there can be places where this reviewing, essentially this reviewing back on what we've done, can help us to understand something that we didn't know before. You know, that there was confusion or misunderstanding or misinformation and in looking back, we can see, oh, you know, I didn't understand about that. And now that I understand about that, I know to not engage that way. I'll tell a story about this. Um, this, was, this was, I saw this on uh, This American Life. Um, that, uh, it was the TV version and it was a, um, a story about 
this improv group that, um, you know, they just did this kind of random improv, uh, public improv, kind of public art. They would do things like, um, you know, throw a birthday party for someone in a subway car and get everybody to sing happy birthday and, you know, have balloons and cake and, you know. So that kind of thing, you know, creating a, a situation or an environment in public. And what they decided to do, so they had, the, they, they, you know, they had them um, created these forms and then they had all these people kind of show up and engage uh, in public in this activity. And in, they decided to do one, which was, they called it the best gig ever. And um, they, just, they picked this little band, this tiny little band that had a gig in New York City. And they decided to give them the best night of their life, the best gig of their life. So about 50 or so of these improv artists um, learned all of their songs. They were this little tiny band. You know, they learned all of their songs. And um, um, they all showed up for this little gig in New York City. And the place was packed because it was a small little thing. You know, there were 50 of these uh, improv artists showing up. And, you know, the, the, uh, the band started to play. And, and, and they, you know, all of these people knew all of their songs. You know, there was one guy that, like, was standing there and he was just swaying and mouthing the words to the songs and other people were, you know... They all did their own act. And they went back, you know, it's like, wow, that was great. It was the best night, of best gig of their, of their life. And this group, uh, this improv group, publishes their improv things on websites and some of the friends of that band... Um, found out that that evening had been an improv performance. And they were devastated. You know, they were... And then not only that, that they became the butt of all kinds of jokes on the internet. Um, and the, the thing that kind of, oh, made my heart oh, ache was when the guy who directed the improv group said, you know, but our intentions were good. And I thought, yeah, okay, your intentions were good. You know, they did want to give them something. But this is where the Buddha suggests, look back, you know, has there been suffering? And, you know, in my, in my reflection on this, I thought, you know, this was a different kind of improv. This was an improv that was direct, it wasn't public, you know, It was directed at two individuals. It wasn't like out in the Whole Foods store, you know. It was, it was in a small club, and it was directed to two individuals. There were, you know, there were basically, you know, there were, was almost nobody at the at the performance except for these improv artists. So it wasn't really a public performance. It was directed towards individuals. And I thought, you know, maybe that's something they could learn from that. You know, maybe this form of art shouldn't, should not be directed towards specific individuals. And I mentioned it to my friend, and she said, that and the whole thing was founded on a lie. You know, that's, that they, you know, they hadn't really loved the music. It had been an act. 
So, you know, that's, that's another piece of it, is to look at, well, our intentions were good. We wanted to give them something good. But again, it's founded on something that's not so wholesome. So this is a kind of exploration that we can make. You know, when uh, we see that there's suffering happening in our wake, to not simply dismiss it of, oh, my intention was good, but to look, is there something that I can learn? Is there something that I can understand from this suffering? You know, we don't, we, I think most of us don't want to cause suffering, but we also don't have a very skillful relationship with ourselves when we have caused suffering. And this is a, this is a big piece of, of this exploration, you know, learning to have a skillful relationship with ourselves when we have caused suffering, learning to acknowledge it, learning to want to understand it, and learning how to, um, to make amends. So I have more to say, as always, but I'm going to just stop there for a little while and see what's up for you. I can go on, but, you know, I want to see what the conversation wants to be. Yeah. Oh, could somebody hand the, the mic? And I think you need to turn it on, too. Oh, and let me demonstrate something. Why don't you give me the mic? I've decided to start doing this because um, it's helpful for people to see how to use these mics. So these mics are really directional. You have to use them like this, and you have to hold them pretty close. You know, kind of think karaoke bar. <laughs> you know, that's what we're. These are kind of mics, I think. If you hold it like this, it doesn't work. So it's really directional. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about how sometimes when you think that the right thing to say or the truth could actually be a harmful thing to say, and that also there are times when there are multiple truths. Um, you know, there are multiple, yeah, there are multiple truths for, for myself, um, and I'm kind of choosing which of those truths to talk mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. But also it's my own perspective on what's the truth. It's not necessarily the truth. So there's two parts to your question. So there's the, um, you know, um, wanting to hold back, saying something that's the truth when it may cause harm. You know, the Buddha in, in um, um, the exploration around speech, and I'll talk more about speech the next time I'm here. I'm away next week, but I'll be back the following week. Um, he said, when we evaluate our speech, you know, when we think about what we're going to say, we look at, um, first of all, is it, is it true? And we wouldn't say it if it's not true. I mean, that's what his suggestion is. Don't say it if it's not true. And I'll get to that other part in a minute. Um, and then um, he says there's additional pieces that we need to consider. Is it useful? Is it kind? And is it an appropriate time for this to be said? So, you know, if there is something that, you know, I've been bludgeoned by the truth myself, you know. (laughs) And that, you know, it's like, it wasn't 
either said in a kind way, yes, it's true, but it wasn't said in a kind way, and it wasn't particularly helpful or beneficial for me to hear that. And um, it also, possibly, it wasn't the right time. You know, that, that there are times when we, you know, to evaluate the whole situation about speech. And we don't just look at, is it true? We look at the whole context. And sometimes, you know, in that context, especially around, is it an appropriate time? You know, this, this can be many different components. This may be, you know, the space that you're in when you're getting ready to say something. You know, it's like, if you're angry, maybe it's not a good time to say something. Or if the other person is really upset, maybe it's not a good time to say something. So to, to evaluate the situation in a larger perspective. And it's not just... The, the Buddha actually didn't always say everything. I mean, at one, there was this one story that, uh, that I like around this, that um, um, there were these parents who were looking for their son, and they had told their son that their son could not ordain under the Buddha. And um, um, the, the, the son had wanted to come and ordain, and he had come for some teachings uh, from the Buddha, and the father came along looking for him to drag him back home. And, and supposedly with his magic powers, the Buddha, you know, obscured the father from being able to see the son. I mean, we can just envision this, that maybe the son was sitting behind some bushes or something. And the Buddha knew he was there, um, and, and um, the father came along and said, do you know where my son is? And the Buddha said, if you sit down and wait for a moment, I think you'll see him soon. So he didn't say, oh yes, your, your son is behind the bushes. And he didn't lie to say, oh, I don't know where your son is. He said, sit down for a moment and I think you'll see your son soon. And what, what, was, um, what happened in that moment is that the Buddha was giving a discourse and the father heard the discourse and it changed his perspective so that um, he was more open to his son ordaining. And then the son appeared and he could see, see him. So you know, there's this kind of, um, you know, the, the Buddha himself didn't always tell the entire truth, <laughs> you know. Um, but it was within a context. So that's one part of your question. The other part is the different perspectives, essentially. Um, um, you know, I think a lot of that... Um, you know, part of, part of one of the ways the Buddha talked about this is he talked about preserving the truth. And he said, um, we can preserve the truth. He, says, he said, when you, you have a belief, you have a perspective on something, he says, you can preserve the truth by saying, this is my perspective, as opposed to saying, this is the way it is. So to, to kind of looking at these different perspectives, even if in your own mind there's like, oh, different, what, diff, what you would call different truths, they're probably different perspectives or different views, different beliefs. And looking from one perspective, things look one way. Looking from another perspective, things look another way. Having that understanding, we preserve the truth by saying, when I look from this perspective, I see it this way. When I look from this perspective, I see it that way. That's preserving the truth. That is speaking truthfully. Now, if you were to just say, you know, I see it this way, that may not be the whole truth. Because 
at certain times you may see it that way. And so the Buddha kind of talked about ways to, to be more um, encompassing of those perspectives and to speak from, uh, to, to, to put those perspectives, to make those perspectives clear. You know, so he said, you know, to say, this is my belief. This is, what I, this is what I have faith in, as opposed to this is what is true. Thanks. Yeah. So, generally, I think it's good to be honest, and I'm, I'm a little embarrassed that I do this, but um, I have a partner who's much more thrifty than I am, so when I spend money on things or pay someone what she thinks is too much, I tend to hear about it for a half hour or more, and it can lead to <laughs> disharmony and... Um, so sometimes I lie, and I've, and I've thought about this in my mind, is this right? And, you know, I think, no, it's, it's not right, but then I think, who is being hurt? And it's possibly saving us an argument. So, I don't know, it just seemed like a good thing to bring up here, because it's not honest, but on the other hand, it seems like more harm is caused when I am honest. Well, so there's, you know, there's the perspective, there's a kind of a larger perspective in a way. I mean, the, that's, that's a very common kind of exploration, a common exploration around uh, non-false speech. Around I should not say lying. we have separate accounts, too. Our money are each <laughs> our own, so I'm not taking her money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's a good, good thing for you to know, too. I mean, the, the clarity around that is helpful. Um... um so you know the this is a common kind of question this is like the the what we might call the white lie you know it's like it seems to be helpful to create less stress if we have if we lie this way and who's going to ever know um so the buddha suggesting here i mean again you know there's actually i wouldn't say there's a right or wrong answer so much it's more around what is your your intention? And ostensibly your intention is to not create harm or to not have this struggle. Um, but you might look a little more deeply there. You know, is, is it an av- aversion? Is there an aversion of wanting to avoid something? Or is it a true compassion that is, is, is coming there? So... Um, um, you know, it may be that this is an area, I mean, if there's continual conflict in this area, that this is maybe an area that shouldn't be papered over, over and over and over again. That maybe it is something that needs to be um, worked through in a way. I mean, the way it seems to happen now is that, you know, okay, you spend some certain amount and then there's this blow up. <laughs> and then... It lasts for a while, and then there's maybe some, uh, you know, some days of struggle after that. Um, so, you know, if if you are really engaging in the world in these different ways, you know, maybe there's a time not after you've done something, you know, not after you've spent something, but to sit down and say, you know, th- I see this as a continual pattern. Can we talk about this? Can we look at what's going on here? And, I mean, it may be that there's a deeper thing going on inside of her that is, you know, 
it doesn't have anything, it may not have anything to do with money. It may have to do with, with some other kind of security. And, you know, to, to be willing to enter into the exploration around suffering is part of this, this path. You know, so, you know, we want to avoid, we want to avoid the struggle. But, you know, I think, a, a, you know, a, deep, a deepening of relationship can happen around it. And to not go in, I mean, to go into a conversation about it, like, really open-heartedly. It's like, so I want to know what's going on for you. You know, let's not talk about the surface here. Let's, let's find out what, let's, let's, let's see what's going on. So, you know, to use these times when there is struggle as a kind of a signal. Okay, well, something needs to be understood. You know, to, to, you know, to, to deepen in our exploration of our own experience, our own hearts and minds. We have to be willing to meet that. So, you know, in your own way, in your own time, exploring, exploring it. These things are not easy. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've done a fair amount of that. It persists. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Arthur. So, um, yesterday I had an incident in a bank uh, uh, with some of the tellers, several of the tellers, actually. Um, uh, So, very briefly in the past, when I was teaching, I would not frequently, but irregularly, uh, regularly do something that was unkind or uncalled for. Not intentionally, I just, you know, got things happened and... And I would think about it later, and at another time I would apologize, occasionally in front of the whole class, but usually privately. Um, kids are great, you know. They, they're not used to apologies, A, and just, you know, from adults, and so there was never a problem, ever, over years. Um, uh, adults are different. <laughs> um, as, uh, so, so I had this uh, incident. I was clearly, I knew I was right. Um, very self-righteous. <laughs> I was waiting in line. They kept, you know, but I was waiting in a different line for a safe deposit box, and they kept taking other people, and I asked for me, and she said, well, um, I'm with a customer, etc. And Anyway, I, I had to ask again, and then I had to wait a, a second time after I came out, and same thing happened, but this time she scolded me, um, in, not in her words, but in the way she said them. Uh-huh. And then someone came, and she tried to explain it, and I explained what happened, and it got heated, and I left. And, um, a little hard for me now to go back and apologize, or and and. Uh, so what's the what's right action in that? Well, so you in terms of making amends, or I mean, yeah, I mean the, uh, the partially amends. I mean, I go in the bank, I'll see these people again, um, uh, and there's that, and then there's the issue of um, uh, they're young women. I I offended them. I, I I you know I think I was right. I think in the end they thought I was right, um, but I can be overwhelming sometimes or convincing. <laughs> uh, so, so you know the the whole um, exploration around the 
what to do when we've seen something unskillful. Um, now there's, a, there's a lot of approaches, and the main thing is recognizing in your own heart, what did I do? How could I have behaved differently? Uh, what was my contribution to the situation? I mean, clearly it seems like there was, it was happening on both sides. There was a, you know, kind of a sparks happening. Um, so, you know, to, to acknowledge for yourself your own contribution, uh, perhaps your own impatience, your own um, frustration that contributed to the, the, the situation. And, the, you know, in the, um, in the Buddhist monastic world, they have what the, a ceremony that happens about every two weeks where they all come together. And I've never attended one, of course, but <laughs> um, um, I understand that they come together and um, they kind of pair up and um, talk about ways they've acted. That, you know, so it's kind of like almost a confessional. You know, it's kind of a confessional in a way to just acknowledge, okay, this is what happened. This is how I did it. And, you know, this is how I see I could do things a little bit differently, you know, so that, so that there's that exploration, the willingness to explore. Um, the amends part is, you know, I think that's more of a sense of um, what's appropriate in a situation, you know, there's certain situations where I feel like, yeah, I did that, I did that, I didn't, I didn't do that well, and 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 I understand in my own heart that was not a good thing to do, and my sense is if I go to that person and tell them, you know, this is what I did, it would actually not be helpful, you know. So there's this this true, necessary, kind, timely aspect around things and so you know there's other times where it's like yep I see that would be really helpful I need to uh, to make that amends other times bringing even bringing up the topic with that other person it's kind of like it opens a wound for them and so you know the Buddha didn't actually say we have to go make amends or t- talk to the person in that way it's like we, we make internal amends and we resolve to do better in the future. So there are different ways. I mean, we, um, there are times when making amends is completely appropriate and other times when it may not be. Um, and it's kind of use your own, use your own judgment there. And, um, you know, maybe the next time you go into the bank, you could just be, uh, make a real effort to be, uh, to be really friendly. (laughs) You know, as opposed to consciously saying, you know what, I came in the other day and I said this and I'm really sorry, you know. It, it may be a little bit odd in a business kind of situation to do that. So, you know, to, to just explore how do you want to behave in, in the future, you know. So learning from that situation and, and carrying forward with it. And then there's the aspect of forgiveness, which I guess I'll have to talk about another time. <laughs> There's, I, there's plenty of, of time on, I mean, I expect to take several weeks on this ethical uh, stuff, so we can talk about forgiveness in the coming weeks. So thank you for your attention and your questions. <laughs>